0: Dear friends of uh, East meets West and uh, other interested viewers, welcome to this uh, podcast. It is the third in a series that East meets West organizes. And this time it has the title, very interesting title, I think, Corporate Social Responsibility, CSR, just a trend or a global mindset, creating new opportunities for the LGBTIQ community. So it touches on this fascinating subject of company, social responsibility. For those who do not know yet, I am Ludo Swinna. I'm one of the co-founders, one of the two co-founders of East Meets West. And the podcast you see now uh, was pre-recorded. I mean, it was done previously, but we wanted to broadcast it on the international coming out day. Uh, That means, of course, for all of you that we cannot have during and after the the broadcast, we cannot have a live Q&A because, of course, We are not really live, but uh, you can always, if you have some questions, if you have some remarks, please feel free to send them to us. Uh, We will see to it that they reach the right speaker today. And I must say, we are very happy and very proud to have four great speakers today with us. Allow me to give a short uh, short introduction of them. Um, First of all, we have with us Adela Horakova, Adela Horakova, comes from the Czech Republic, she's a Czech lawyer. She works for... Uh, and, a div- and a diversity professional, I'm sorry. She practiced for 12 years international law with a youth law firm. And then she made a career shift. It's always interesting in somebody in this life makes a career shift. She became a manager for diversity and inclusion in Denton, one of the major law firms, I think, in the world. And for the moment, she, is, she works as an independent... Uh, Consultant and independent uh, consultant for businesses, non-profit and political organizations on the topic of diversity and inclusion, LGBTIQ inclusion. Uh, lately, when you see her on the social media, you see her especially as one of the driving forces behind the very important campaign in Czech Republic called Yes, mm-hmm. Fair, so we are mm-hmm. fair. This is devoted then to same-sex marriages. Um, so I would say welcome to uh, Adela. Uh, what is interesting for Adela to have her with us, first of all to have her, because she's a very interesting person, but all she can look at corporate social responsibility as a tool to, to be more active when, active when being an activist for a specific goal. I think therefore it's interesting to have Adela with us on our uh, podcast. The second one I would like to introduce is Nikita. Nikita comes from Germany. Nikita, I always write his name wrong, so Baranov, I'm sorry Nikita. Nikita and uh, Nikita is somebody who is, um, has been, is working now for Metro. Now, Metro in Germany is not everybody internationally will know it, but is in fact a huge organization. They are a wholesale company, food, non-food, but they also do a lot of other things. They are active in, I think, uh, 34 countries. They have uh, more than 100,000 employees. So it's a huge corporate and uh, apart from having a real job there, I mean, real in the sense that a normal job that you get in such an organization, Nikita is also uh, the driving force behind the ERG group within Metro. Nikita is, uh, we know Nikita very well in East, West because he was also a guest on one of our previous international conferences. Uh, Nikita studied, I think he studied at uh, European University of Applied Sciences as uh, a logistical management there. He worked in a few very nice, I know the very nice German companies like Fresnaft and Esprit, but now he is fully engaged in Metro. Uh, Metro is, uh, he in Metro is indeed uh, was active in, in the IT, I think. He became, in July was promoted to executive assistant of the chief human resource officer, but apart from this, he is still very active in his company, I think, in Metro as, uh, how shall I say, as the driver of his ERG group. And this is especially what we will also talk on what's happening in Metro with also corporate social responsibility. Nice about him, if you see the Nikita somewhere on social media or wherever, you always find next to his title as a job, he always says LGBT plus evangelist. So I find that you have some idea about what he does and how he sees his job and how he takes care of his job in that sense. Then we come to uh, Fabrice. Fabrice, our uh, uh, um, a person from New York. Fabrice, welcome too. We can say that uh, Fabrice is an, um, shall I put it, internationally recognized LGBT activist. Authority, I would even say. Um, he has a very long TV. I just picked out that he is for the moment in uh, New York Managing Director of Global Initiatives uh, for Out Leadership. Previously, he was working at the United Nations as a human rights officer, and there he he was co-editing, co-creator, author of a very important topic, namely the United Nations Global LGBTIQ Standards of Conduct for Business. I think a very important initiative, a very important topic. If you don't know it, please find it and read it, because it's a a very interesting material. And it touches also part of what we are talking about today. For the rest, he is very Ludo,
1: active. In- Ludo, I love your introduction. And I love that you call me an authority. But I noticed that Jens laughed. You know, he smiled really a lot when you called me an authority. And I didn't like that. But I love the introduction.
0: <laughs> I think, I mean, I, I still come to Jens, you know. He will pay for it, I will say it this way. I will call him uh, the author of small books or something. We will see. Uh, okay, nice that you came in there. But anyway, you are an internationally recognized LGBT authority. Believe me, for me you are. Because every time when I'm on social media, you are uh, you are writing things, you're talking, you're speeching, you are having your podcast. Honestly, you're very well known, and I'm very happy to have you with us today. To go further, I know that uh, apart from the fact that you work at the uh, United Nations, you were also active at the World Bank. And World Bank, for the people that know it, means means that you have been away from New York. You've been working in places like Yemen, like Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and other countries, so you are not really the person who is only looking at New York or the US. You know very well what's happening in other, totally different countries in the world. You are many other things. I see it here. You were also ranked as the second, not the first, but the second, by Yahoo uh, Finance among SBTIQ public sector executives. Uh, globally in their 2019 outstanding list well, congratulations. So perhaps this year you I'm are. I'm working hard. hard to become the first, I Actually, the Second is never nice, but I mean, hey, it's never, hey. there's a wrong title, so I would like to add it anyway. So, and you are the proud father of your twin sons called Maxim and
1: Aiton. Yeah. 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 probably they are probably my only accomplishment in life, uh, but they are too small, they are too small to show the mistakes I have made. Yeah, but I mean,
0: this is for everybody. Everybody has this kind of, uh, believe me, at my age, you look back and you close your eyes and you say, oh my God, believe me. All the things you do, did and didn't do, especially that. And then the last one, certainly not the least one, is Jens Schadendorf. Jens is also from Germany. Jens is uh, an economist. He advises companies, scientists, and managers on organizational projects globally. He is an author, a speaker. He covers a lot of topics he's a uh, he does a lot of things in his field but as far as important is we met jens when uh when he published authority please yeah but it's true i mean you are like that and i mean <laughs> the thing is we have this book that you made i'm always impressed when people write books yeah and you wrote a book in german um game changer which is a very fascinating book believe me i don't say it just because you're there but i'll I love the book, it's very nice. I and it's hard to know that in the end of this year, beginning of next year, you have an English version of it, which you're working on, which is it, and I like the, under the subtitle, how the LGBT plus community and their allies are changing the global economy. That's all about it, yeah, that is really what it's about. And of course, I like this English book even more, because I saw that there is even a chapter on me and a little bit about Pavel.
2: Humanity yeah, so, rules uh, the world, of course, you're
0: right, yes. It is, it is. You know, the extra
1: picture, it's
0: always available for you.
2: I, I, heard, tonight, I yeah. heard
1: that the chapter on you, Ludo, <laughs> is the piece de resistance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the chapter on me and a little bit about uh, our friend Pavel, a little bit, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah.
2: But what I can say, it's interesting to see this interplay between the French guy from Florida and a Belgian guy in Antwerpen who's in a lockdown situation. So you'll love it, yeah. I think. Yeah, of course, of course.
0: <laughs> and if you don't behave, you'll start speaking French and then everybody's lost in space. It's true. Good, Jens. Because you are the last one on my list that I talked about, I would like to ask you for the first question. I will ask everybody a specific question. Then we go to the more general discussion. Uh, as I said, you are working on the book Game Changer in English. Um, and that book, I saw the, the the test, the test version, we checked it, we looked at it, and I read it again when I was preparing this podcast and I saw this element of corporate social responsibility. I will say now CSR, to make it simpler for me, CSR is quite present in your book, clearly. And I was looking for a nice first question, but it is a lot of it. And then I came to the following, uh, because I came back to my own experiences. Um, some years ago, I was working for a huge international American company, uh, GE, so General Electric, the financial part. And I remember that the first or the second day that I worked there, a um, high-level executive told me, said, look, you can do whatever you want, but you should not forget one thing. The only value in life is shareholder value. And at that moment, I said, yeah, that makes sense. We are here to make money. But I think today such such a message is not really longer valid. I think that in the corporate world things are changing or have changed, and the other values coming. So my question to you, um, Jens, is what made the corporate world change course and now, in a kind of embrace, the corporate social responsibility values. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So first of all, GE is interesting, if I may. refer to what you were saying, interested in my previous lives, that's several previous lives. Yeah. Uh, I was a publishing director a, in a large um, company and I was publishing uh, Jack Welch's autobiography. Okay. Spending yeah. uh, two days with Jack Welch which was quite interesting and yeah. as you may know um, Jack Welch was sort of the, uh, the symbol um, Per se of um, shareholder value thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an interesting encounter uh, for two days, um, and uh, this was 2001, so around the time of 9/11. Yeah. And um, when I then was looking back, so get, getting to your question. Um, seven years after so i'm thinking these seven years terms oh, yeah. and we had the financial crisis and until then of course we had a ruling of the world by the uh, the, the uh, business principle of uh, shareholder value which was of course impacted by milton friedman's uh, thinking the business of business is business or the purpose of business is business and uh, i think uh, we can see very clearly from research but also if you just look what um companies have then, uh, uh, how people, uh, companies have then reacted after the financial crisis, that there was a sort of turning away from this um, guiding principle of shareholder value gradually, not, uh, con- not, yeah. not um, instantly, but gradually. And uh, so the figure uh, as a guiding principle of CSR emerged, I think, from a crisis, uh, a crisis which is now coming to another crisis, which we are yeah. in actually, But this is clearly um, uh, a very, you can almost draw a direct line from the crisis of the financial crisis um, uh, time in uh, 2008, 2009, and getting the companies thinking differently about what their role is, what Mm -hmm. their function is, and that they are part of society and not apart from society. And uh, I think this plays a role as well from, if we look then at, uh, at the, um, uh, uh, the contributions with respect to the LGBT community, but I think we, we will get... Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely.
2: I think major was a mot- watershed moment. And I think uh, what played a role as well, uh, in addition, is, of course, a very strong change of values of the younger generation and their expectations vis-a-vis... Uh, what large organizations namely global organizations have to to um, pro- provide and it's not just good products and um, uh, services but it's uh, their their obligation or the expectations yes. of them is to um, to create societal value if you wish Perfect. And that, I think, uh, is two things which are important. There are more, but they are crucial things. And they, as well, play a role, as well, with respect to the rise of the importance of the LGBT topic in the mm-hmm. corporate world. Perfect.
0: Thank you, Jens. That was clearly a nice introduction, also, what is happening in the in the corporate life. Um, I would like to go over now to Adela. Adela in uh, Czech Republic. Um, she is, apart from the fact that she's a very interesting lady, Uh, But she's also somebody who had a very nice, let's say, can look at the element of of diversity in general from different points of view. She was on the one hand as a lawyer, she was like the outsider. As uh, a diversity professional, she was like running within a company, the diversity. And then, of course, now she is fully anchored in the activity of cooperation with business and politics to advance the LGBT Agenda. I think that is an interesting topic too, and I would like to ask now Adela. Adela, first of all, to just give us some, some, let's say, description, some uh, additional information on this 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 journey you made from insider to an activist, and also if you already encountered, because I know that in your in the activity of uh, for your action for uh, accepting same-sex marriages, that you also see already there. You meet a lot of companies, I see. You have a lot of companies you're mobilized. Is there also an element of corporate social responsibility within that uh, that work that you do for this action, for this campaign?
3: Thank you, Ludo. Uh, thank you for the question and for having me here today. I'm very excited and honored to be here with all the uh, big wigs of the LGBTI diversity world. So thank you for having me. Um, indeed, it's been quite a journey. Um, if you told me in 2005, which is what, when I started my professional career, when it would end up in 15 years, I probably would not have believed you. Uh, but this is how it turned out. Um, I don't really see it as uh, changing careers, but more like adding chairs. I was sitting on one chair, then i was sitting on two chairs, and now I'm sitting on three chairs. But I somehow managed to join them all together in the idea of equality and freedom for LGBTI people. So the first chair I was sitting at was a commercial lawyer. I was a commercial lawyer in the big law firms for 12 years. And um, there was not a whole lot of talk about diversity in 2005 in Czech Republic in the big law firms. Um, There were no ERGs, there was no strategy. Um, A lot of people were not out and uh, there was a, just a silence, I would say, around it. Um, and when I look at it today, I think the landscape has changed dramatically. Um, there are many companies who started to have their ERGs. There are many companies who opened that discussion. Um, and young people, people who are five, ten years, my juniors, um, have a very active approach to that, not, ju- not as members of LGBTI community, but allies as well. Um, I still meet them, I still keep in touch with my colleagues. And I was just at a wedding of, uh, of a junior lawyer from my previous firm. And um, uh, there was a lot of younger people around. And I was amazed to see how um, active they were, how interested in the world around them they were, and how, as a matter of fact, it was for them that the should discriminate and should actively pursue equality for LGBTI people. Um, Some people call it a bubble because, yes, we do live in Prague. Yes, those are big firms. These are people with university education and usually with strong international connections. But a bubble suggests that it's something that's going to burst. Uh, So I don't call it a bubble. I call it a spark, uh, which is going to live on and it's going to start a fire, which I already feel is there. Um, So that world, my first chair has changed a lot in the last 15 years, and I'm very happy for that. Um, at one point, being a lawyer, I started feeling that there's a little bit more. I need something a little bit different. I need to add to my life, and it's just around the time that Denton decided to introduce a diversity practice and a pro bono practice. It was joined together: pro bono, uh, so chair, uh, legal advice, and and uh, the idea of diversity, and. I was thinking, should I go ahead? Should I do it? And then one day, it's a funny story. One day I open my LinkedIn and I see an ad that Denton's has put up, um, ask you know, looking for a diversity uh, manager. And I thought, well, that's perfect. I'm, I'm s- going to still in, stay in that firm that I like with that structure, with the people all around, but I'm going to do what I like. So I transitioned. I became a diversity manager for our European offices. Uh, that was, I think, Something around 20 offices in 20 countries, very diverse, from Amsterdam to Georgia. You can imagine that the cultural background is very different in in these countries. Um, and uh, and and I was very happy. It was very, it was like a, a waking up. It was a, a such a different type of job, a different type of communication, a different kind of position in the firm. You know, coming from a senior associate to um, a diversity manager was strange and not many people do that with their own term and i was very happy there for two years and but all along i was volunteering in lgbt organizations here in the czech republic as a legal counsel. um and at one point we started this we launched this marriage equality campaign in 2017 so three years ago and i at one point felt i needed to put 100 percent of my energy into this equal marriage campaign and i felt that while i was helping um my firm maybe in becoming more diverse I felt my impact would be greater if I moved into the marriage equality campaign full-time, and that's what I did, And and uh, but I still keep in touch with all three of the worlds and uh, still very happy with all of them, and I, I kind of feel that's a bit of my calling to connect these three worlds together, so business diversity and, and NGOs, and I hope to do that onwards as well.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Thank you very much for the introduction. Um, so I see, in fact, you talked about ERG, we talked about changing environments of young people, I think also Jens referred to it that companies change because the world is changing. I think that is indeed already a connection. And I would go to, to Nikita. Nikita, as I said, he works in this huge company. He is very much engaged in, in diversity and in inclusion. He is running this ERG group. He is, I think, most people know him. And my question to Nikita is, in fact, now um, first of all, this ERG group and developing it and then possibly moving then this as a tool to move a company to corporate social responsibility. Is that something that you see that you live in in Metro? Are you already with uh, with CSR? Are you already there? Is it something that is uh, possible, not possible? Just generally speaking, how do you see the situation for the moment in your ERG group, but also in CSR in Metro?
4: yes thanks thanks for having me uh, ludo and thanks for being amongst uh, all these uh, great speakers here so speaking um from metro and uh, the development from an eg to dsr it was it was quite a journey so um metro pride was existing since 2014 i mean it's uh, mm-hmm. already 6 years and um for the first years, we are quite concentrating on being really an uh, employee resource group, of having a strategy, of having a safe place where people can exchange, where employees can exchange, where there is um, something that that uh, people can come together with to see how we can drive the um, the equality in the workplace, and from from there on we started also thinking about okay so this get togethers are quite nice but there is something more to it we we need to and we can drive visibility we can drive empowerment and awareness on the one hand but we can also um go beyond this and as we as a company consider ourselves as being part of the society and uh, saying that we were thinking also in a strategy workshop how to become more a driver for these csr topics in our in our company and um well saying saying this um i mean we have a tendency since we are being really concentrated on the on on the headquarters Mm -hmm. to drive the CSR topics, particularly for the German part um, of the group. But um, with our recent um, endeavor, which we developed over the two and a half years, um, our project to um, to make an amendment to the um, blood donation policy in, uh, in Germany, because we suffered from a real discrimination uh, act at our premises. Uh, we saw that uh, we need to drive this attention to all the other departments and responsible people in the company, and from there we go. So I would say we are in a kind of a tendency from coming from an ALG and 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 going to the csr uh, topics okay thank you we come back to that point later on also because i
0: think it's a very interesting point to to discuss but you have then this kind of view of the 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 company living in a company and see how a company moves in that direction so that's very interesting and now we come to the fourth speaker the last speaker but last certainly not the least Fabrice, Fabrice, um, for you, finding for you a question was not so difficult because um, I see you very often on social media, I see you often speak, I also read articles that you, you write, and I found one fascinating thing that, that is very, very, not, not basic, but very but a bit, so a deep understanding, that was the question of uh, you put also in certain um, activities you did, you said, look, I believe very much in CSR because I think that uh, a growing CSR, so a growing involvement of businesses in supporting of minorities and also the LGBTIQ agenda will compensate for a decreasing public LGBTIQ support. I think that's a very nice idea that, indeed, if the public support is took over a lot, goes down, because there the economical push is, is far higher, you see that it is compensated by let's say, by the businesses who take over that role. I think this is interesting to talk about. And and, then what what convinced you, in fact, to put uh, your hope in moving forward for our community also in the corporate social responsibility? That's my question.
1: Yeah, uh, well, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me uh, with such uh, uh, great other panelists. Um, You know, my belief is that we have a problem as an LGBTQ community, and the problem is that we have only scratched the surface of equality. You know uh, as Adela pointed out, she's fighting in the in the Czech Republic for marriage equality, but marriage equality is only one small step towards equality. and 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 the, you know we have millions of children, LGBT children, that go to bed every night, praying to their God to wake up a different person and lying to their parents, lying to their teacher, lying to their priest and the consequences on their well-being are atrocious and really tremendous. And so we have to continue the momentum we have known since the Stanwater uprising in the United States. Now, a lot of the momentum we have had in in the past 50 years has been driven by government and international organizations that believe in the human rights agenda. And that not only use their clouds in international forum to push for change, you know, you can think of the United States twisting the arm of the Kyrgyz Republic to vote at the United Nations on resolutions in the past, but they have also spent money the United States used and to some extent continues to channel money through its agencies for change on LGBTI issues. And money is is a key aspect of the fight for LGBTI equality. Now, what we have been observing is that in a time of transition, you know, um, our friend Jens pointed out that, you know, we we have had an economic crisis, which now is one with another economic crisis. But it's also an economic transition in a complex way, in which, you know, the added value is now concentrated in very few hands, which has, you know, economic consequences. Governments are stepping away from the human rights agenda and in turn are increasingly, as you know, uh, catering to nationalism and populism. And therefore, what we have seen is that the United States that used to be the champion of human rights, a framework that, after all, the kind of creators, right, are now saying, oh, we are in a post-human rights world. Yes. So the question for us as LGBT people is who is going to support our movement now? Now, the, the private sector has a big problem, which is that increasingly people are suspicious of capitalism and the private sector for very good reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, the extractive industry, perceived as having destroyed the environment, the consumer industry is perceived as poisoning us one by one, the banking industry is perceived as being the cause of the 2008 economic crisis. Yes. And that suspicion has consequences for them, you know, increasingly restrictive regulation, but also the fact that employees don't want to work for them, Consumers are turning away from brands that are perceived as not contributing to a better world. Increasingly, something you pointed out, Ludo, shareholders are looking at where their money is being invested So the private sector wants to demonstrate that they are actually contributing to a better world and that they have the right value. And strangely enough, their attention is focusing on LGBTQ issues and diversity and inclusion issues more generally. And the reason is, as Adela pointed out from her work on diversity and inclusion, it's a need to show your value. If you are LGBT inclusive, then chances are that you are also on the right side of history when it comes to environmental issues yes. or when it comes to the way you're treating your employees in the workplace. The problem for us is that there is a lot of companies that are trying to free ride on that LGBTQ movement. They are saying, look, I'm LGBT friendly, but in fact, they are not doing anything to solve the problem that that I mentioned at the beginning, which is that the vast majority of LGBTQ children are being damaged day after day by society. And so I see my job as an LGBT activist on reconciling that gap. In saying to companies, great! If you are LGBT friendly, these are the very easy steps that you can do to contribute to our fight. There is financial step, there is using your cloud, you know, in discussions, in discussions. But there is also the way you're treating your employees within the company. And so I think there is a perfect storm in which, on one hand, governments are uh, and international organisations are very dispar- differentiating. But then on the other hand, the private sector want to show their value. And we need the support of the private sector and the LGBT community. And the re- the question is, how are we reconciling all of this in a way that is benefiting our community? Yeah.
0: Okay. Thanks. Clear. Thank you very much, Fabrice. That was really clear. And certainly from the part of the view of somebody who is an international active person sees this. I think we had four nice approaches to the element of of corporate social responsibility. Uh, now we can go to a few questions that I put in the middle, I mean, for everybody to join. Um, there's one thing I want to ask you, and this is, this is also linked to a double question that I have here with me. In how do you start as LGBT activists, how do you start going into this corporate social responsibility? I think Nikita touched it a little bit. Uh, from my experience, I saw it in the bank where me and Pavel were working. We started with an ERG group, DRG became more active, more positive, got more empathy, got more uh, straight allies, very important. And now it moved little by little into this, this environment of, of CSR. I have a question for everybody. How do you, because we have a lot of probably people that are watching us, listening to us, that say, that's interesting. But how, I said it once somewhere, how do I learn to speak CSR? Yeah. How do I do that when I talk to a company? What do I do in my own company? to make them aware because it's still not a general policy. So my question is to you, all of you, um, how, what kind of tool is the best? Is it an ERG group? Is it another way? How do you see to work in and with companies to make them aware and to maximize also our profit from the CSR in companies?
2: I mean, if I may step in here, if you look for instance at the criteria which are existent, for instance, uh, for the workplace um, quality index of the HRC or if you look at other criteria or other indices which are up there, uh, what's reflected there already is um, the internal dimension and the external dimension uh, of activities of companies engaged with uh, LGBT, LGBT plus equality. So the internal uh, dimension is, is, is very clear. So we are talking not so much about that. Uh, so we are talking more about the external dimension. Of course, both is interconnected. Of course, um, that's clear. But in uh, as well as in the standards, so uh, uh, Fabrice has co-authored. Of course, we as so well. The internal dimension, but you also have the market dimension. You have the community and the society dimension. I think everything is there. You have kind of a framework already, mm-hmm. um, and you have through this framework you have an invitation as a company to reflect on where you want to start, uh, and if you want to. And this links to what Fabrice was saying with uh, the um, the complex of pink washing. Yes. So if as a company you want to perceive as to be true, uh, truly um, educative friendly, of course you have to make your homework internally and externally. And externally means, for example, and I think that's something which was not thinkable, let's say, 10 years ago. uh, If you want to perceive uh, to be uh, truly um, educative friendly, you have to, to be present and let's, for instance, support um, NGOs in, let's say, Kenya, or yeah. wherever you're present. Uh, you have to, for instance, what I'm describing in my book as well, so the Barilla story. So what did Barilla do? They asked David Mixner for help. So they asked a credible person who's engaged as his, who has a record, as a, as a uh, civil rights activist, not just an LGBT rights, but a civil act, uh, rights activist. And what he, did, what he did is to uh, recommend to companies to deal with uh, local NGOs in France and Italy, yeah. support uh, uh, local centers who support homeless youth, for instance, uh, the Alfoni Center in New York, for instance, in France, they're doing the same. In uh, Germany, it's a similar thing on in its way. So I think uh, if you look at the criteria that are there in these indexes, Uh, you have kind of a checklist what you can do as a company to be truly um, a CSR-minded company. And if you really want to go what is sort of uh, what I would say uh, window dressing, like nice brochures and nice checks on website, everybody's bought by this. Nobody wants to read, I'm committed to diversity. I mean, everybody's bought by this, who's in this. You want to see practical things, and like what's very practical is to see if money is going to, let's say, uh, to the Alfoni Center in New York or to other institutions. It's just a, it's a symbol, kind of.
0: Yeah, of course. There is,
2: I mean, in every in every country there are possibilities. In every country, and if you are putting this side, of course, this has an internal uh, effect as well. Yeah. So, to me, for instance, and I think everybody can connect this. If I if I uh, uh, get the news by internal communications and external communication, a press release, seeing that your company has invested something in Poland and the Czech Republic or in uh, Kenya or supporting an initiative, for instance, the equal marriage campaign. Of course, that's already CSR. Very. Yeah. Small thing. Of course, there's money involved and there's as college as well. But the, I mean, that's everything is on the table. I think it doesn't need so much creativity, it just and, action, mm-hmm. and the, the willingness, and of course, yeah. money. That's clear. Yeah.
0: I think when the money comes, it is a proof that because that hurts with everybody, also with companies, when they give money, there's a kind of if, if it is then also com- uh, combined to a, a really interesting and easy and and an easygoing target. I think that shows indeed. A certain reality, a reality in what they want to do with their CSR situation.
2: May I add one thing? Uh, with, may I add one thing? Excuse me. With respect to pinkwashing, I had several discussion on this, and I'm I have a slightly different stance um, than um, the majority, I think. My my point of view is don't blame uh, people for pinkwashing. In the beginning, why? Um, I think that's a wonderful development. The term pinkwashing doesn't, didn't exist seven years ago. It's wonderful that you have this term now that you blame, you can't blame companies for pinkwash, mm-hmm. for, for pinkwashing. Seven years ago, so around the gorilla time, uh, sort of the story took place and started to, to take place. There was not that term. There was greenwashing, for instance. Mm-hmm. But now we have pink washing and if we are now living in a time when that companies want to uh, do as if they are lgbt friendly that's a very very good indicator mm-hmm. and of course so let them pretend and of course then you have to jump on it uh, that's clear but let them go pretend and pretend and you see you have the development of the younger generation being very sensitive they want to see where the money goes, if they are credible, yeah. but let them pretend and then jump into to, and ask, do you want to keep your promise? Yes. But then they are trapped. So it's not it's not necessarily negative, it's also positive that we have this term at this discussion around pink pink washing. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks for so, this.
1: It- I will add something to it, which is you know something that was fascinating when I when I tried to get support from company. United Nations standards of conduct on LGBTI equality is that when I would reach out to the CSR people, they would very often, and Adela might might, might have a view on this, they would often say, oh, no, no, that's a DNI question. And they would push me to the DNI people, right? And so the, the reason is because in CSR, there are a lot of trade people that are very comfortable with the question of environment or the question of labor fairness, but that believe that everything that is related to inclusion is uh, is out of their purview. And I think that we have to make that effort of constantly reminding companies that they have responsibilities when it comes to LGBT inclusion, Mm -hmm. And, and that it's not just being nice, or it's not just a question of company culture, it's also a question of doing the right thing, as it is environment and labor. And so there is a bit of a work of education and yes, And I think that the key here is to constantly come back to the money, because that's the language that companies understand very well. And to tell companies that DNI is not so much about being nice, than it is about survival. Yes. And that if companies that are not inclusive and that are not showing that they are contributing to a better world for underrepresented minorities will probably not survive. Because the consumer, the employees, and the shareholders will increasingly have a very bad judgment on those companies. Okay,
0: thank you. you know, now, listening to what Jan said and also what you said, is that's a stupid question. But CSR, is it something that companies have to learn? That they have to get used to it? That they have to fill in? Because it is something new for them, too. They have a certain way of thinking. If they do some DNI, there's already something, but as you say to have this move to, see, to, to corporate social responsibility? Do they have to learn it too, to see how they have to organize themselves? Because one of the essence I think is that if you do the corporate social responsibility, it means that you integrate taking care of social elements of, of environmental uh, elements and the political elements also in your strategy, in what you do. And I suppose this is also something that is almost an, a learning process companies, no?
4: can build on that since um, metro has now for a lot of years uh, a department which is taking care of corporate responsibility which has also Mm -hmm. corporate citizenship and taking care of social topics but um, yeah for sure it's it's a learning and it's a journey and for sure you can make mistakes and learn out of them but um, I I would like also to underline uh, what what Jens said is that um, the main frameworks for doing CSR are there also in respect of LGBTI topics. Therefore, um, we at Metro were quite um, from the start convinced that the LGBT standard um, conduct uh, of business Is something a framework we can build on and to incorporate in uh, in, in Metro and uh, using as a kind of a checklist to yeah. do all these things. Therefore, we were also from the very beginning early supporter of this. This is quite easy. Everything is there; we just need to execute. And Nikita, and how do you how do you
0: organize it then? internally in the company is it because the problem is always that it has it starts on the top it goes down does it also reach the the lowest level of the organization this this element of we are proud to be in this company because we are a corporate social responsible company
4: yeah i mean um this is quite diverse and i think uh what it also needs you cannot have a one fits all concept for all countries mm-hmm. i mean uh countries are diverse and therefore we try to adapt the um the communication locally mm-hmm. to reach our store people and um to reach the majority of us because more than 60,000 of these 100k stores yeah um therefore yes we are we are in the i would say also from the ARG perspective we are in the beginning to make this topic also internationally broad by having dny champs in yeah. the countries which can cascade it um but it's 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 a journey and you need to really to to push it uh, therefore my title is an lgbt evangelists uh, as as you mentioned this prior ludo That's this right, is something it's right. like a mantra you need to really take a company from zero in this topic to a critical mass therefore fostering this was uh in why it's also about sexual orientation identity to our people uh, in the stores and among all the world of metro is is crucial need to happen on a daily basis in a daily dialogue perfect thank you
0: I think
3: so. Yeah. Perspective on this, I think you mentioned a lot of things that are on my mind. The question was, how do we start with uh, yeah. D&I in a company, basically, if I simplify it? Um, and uh, I fully agree with Nikita. And I think it's very important to say there is no one size fits all. What's very important is the size of your company, mm-hmm. your position in that company, and the market you're operating in. So, um, and each one of them uh, puts you in a different position when you think, ah, I'd like to do something. Um, so we can talk about bullet points and things that people can do, and this will apply um, uh, to a manager, but it would not apply to a uh, store employee, for example, at Metro. Um, it's wonderful, and I agree uh, with Jens on that. It's wonderful in a kind of a bittersweet way that we can talk about that there is indeed such a thing as pinkwashing, uh, but it's more maybe in the in the western uh, part of Europe. In the eastern part of Europe, there are many many countries and many many companies who are not even at the point zero of DNI. Um, you can look at the example of Coca-Cola in Hungary when they ran an ad with two men kissing or hugging. There was some kind of a. It was clear that they were not just friends and the backlash and the um, criticism they received from the government, who ultimately fined them, even though not with a very high fine, but the people themselves who already over the years became indoctrinated with the homophobia, which is state-run, basically. So, it's not automatic that all companies would want to start. Mm. Um, So, uh, there's a very different position of of a city firm in London in a middle-sized company in Eastern Slovakia, for example. Yeah. It's a very different position if you are a CEO uh, or if you're a store manager. Um, and um, and it, it did, it's a very different story if you have 10 employees or 10,000. Yes. Um, so um, I think we can run through, you know, I'm a very practical kind of person and I like bullet points. Mm-hmm. So I think first thing everybody can do, everybody should do when they want to start is not reinvent the wheel with any activity just go out there look for someone who's already doing it which might be an ngo in your in your um um, country or an international ngo uh, like stonewall they also have a very good um step plan how to start um, a diversity in a company Uh, you can go to united nations you can go to european union you can go to you can find standards that are already out there um, if you're a bigger company, you can hire a consultant to help you with. I think many of us on this call work in that position, so feel free <laughs> to call anybody um, and to do a sort of an internal audit uh, screening to tell you where you're at, what your options are, um, tailor made to your company. Yeah. Okay. Um, you do. You do. You make links uh, with people within your company. Don't be alone. Try to lie alliances in the company. Maybe before you go to your management. Talk to a couple other colleagues. Do you think this idea is a good idea? Will, me, will you back me up in this? Um, and, uh, and then go to the management. If you are a management, make sure that you don't do something that people are not on board with. Make sure you don't just push it through. Talk to the other uh, managers, uh, make a plan, make um, um, so that this is not just a one cry out without any strategy behind it. Um, form an ERG, obviously, make a budget. For, uh, for the ERG because there are many things you can do symbolically. There are many things you can do okay. without money. It might come later down the road. The, maybe the budget will not be created immediately, but have that in mind that that's something that needs to happen if you're serious about this. Um, um, put that on paper. So adopt a policy so that it's not just talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure you have a strategy for that policy. If you're a bigger firm, uh, create a position like Denton's did. Uh, create a position of professionals for DNI and pro bono. And by the way, Denton's was the, or is still the largest law firm in the world. And, uh, and they had two people running the whole Europe and they were probably one of the few ones, the only company, the only law firm in Czech Republic I know of at that point who had a dedicated professional team to do that. So even though we're talking about big companies who are dealing with a lot of money, um, the, the staff dedicated to this is, is usually pretty small as maybe Nikita would agree. I don't know what's his, yeah. uh, size of the team but i'm sure he wishes it was three times bigger
4: that's true thank you,
3: <laughs>
0: thank you. so
3: um, we'll go through these bullet points maybe a stonewall agenda if you're in Czech public yeah. Pride this forum which is an lgbti diversity platform have a look at that we have sort of a starter kit um the sources are out there consider your position and tailor it to your company Perfect. maybe
4: i wanted to to add one thing that uh, adela has uh, built on is that creating this mutual forces also between the companies in a local way, it's something something so easy because we have no competition against each other when it comes to D&Y. We are openly to share our best practices and examples and yeah. therefore um, it's it's the easiest thing we can do.
3: It's absolutely right, and it's beautiful that you say that. In fact, that was one of the biggest differences when I when I migrated from being a commercial lawyer, where the competition is obviously fierce between the law firm, mm-hmm. to a DNI world where there's this camaraderie and everybody's cheering for everybody's mm-hmm. advances. It's beautiful.
2: Okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether I agree uh, to make this a discussion here. Um, I I think it's uh, in a way you're right. Um, There is no competition. But on the other hand, of course, we are in in markets where we already have a competition. If you see, for instance, uh, so the exchange of views and the exchange of best practices, of course, is alive. There are many forums um, out there and private connections and networks. But of course, there's competition and the tough markets and the talent markets between different players.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and of course, it's maybe not that tough in the Czech Republic uh, or in Slovakia. But of course, it's there is a tough competition on the consulting market in the U.S., for instance, between BCG, uh, uh, McKinsey, Bain and, and, and other players. Yes. And uh, they, uh, I mean, that's also a good development to me. Uh, of course, if we are in mature markets, uh, that uh, companies are forced to be creative to get the attention, uh, and as well to be to present themselves really as L G P T friendly. And what has been LGBT friendly and has been perceived as uh, top-rated, gold-standard mm-hmm. L G friendly, and say five years ago, eight years ago, is not rated anymore because people had to move and they you know all these organizations are moving up their standards of course, again you're i agree with you adela um as you were saying of course that's different in the czech republic mm-hmm. but also the markets and refers again what you were saying uh, of course the markets are different and um it's to me it's very good that there's a competition because if the highest levels uh, sort of are are pushed to be creative to get the attention of um, talents, um, uh, customers, uh, investors, and so. Of course, this is triggering down as well to other markets in some ways. So the options, uh, so the menu uh, for for uh, for for other companies and other markets, which perhaps are not that mature, is increasing by the competition at the top. So to see the right. whole picture, yeah. so it's not it's not it's not just it's not just uh, we are hugging each other and we are sharing best ideas. It's also it's also competition.
1: Well, and I think, you know, yeah, it's also pointing out to something that some, sometimes is a bit missing in that space, which is an organization that would rate the efforts of the company in, in kind of an objective manner, because, you know, something that I've seen very often. there's there's two issues. There is the issue of companies that indeed are not walking the talk or are not doing what they say they are doing. Like, as an example, Starbucks is a very good example of a company that is perceived as being very LGBT friendly, but did throw us under the bus in Indonesia as soon as they were under attack from a Muslim cleric. So sometimes companies are very supportive in the most progressive environments, but are doing very little, you know, in, in the difficult environment. And then we have another issue, which is the issue of companies that are doing very well on LGBT inclusion, but indeed are doing very poorly on labor yes. or are doing very poorly on the environment. If you take as an example British Petroleum, of course British Petroleum is going to be very pro-LGBT because they are such a horrendous track record when it comes to the environment. Or then similarly, yeah. Uber is going to have, you know, pride flag everywhere in June because they are terrible on labor. They are not providing benefits to their drivers, And in fact, they sometimes put their drivers in armway way to yeah. get uh, a market share. So there is a need for us as, LG- as LGBTQ people to say, first of all, are you using us to hide unforgivable crime? Yeah. Pro- And then the other question is, are you being LGBT friendly with $5,000 a year, like the Miami Dolphins, you know, that that team? But on the other hand, you're giving gigantic amount of money to Donald Trump, which then is undermining the human rights framework that we very much need. So we have to be careful. As much as I agree with you, let's not shout pinkwashing when companies are coming to embrace us. We also have to be careful not to be taken for a ride by the private sector, which has shown in the past that it can be very Machiavellian and uh, manipulative.
0: Perfect. Thank you. I have uh, an other question. Um, you know, when when today we go out uh, of the building we are in, we are confronted with something that we have been living now for many months. Yeah. COVID-19, we have to wear these masks, we have to watch out, we have to respect our uh, social contacts. It has changed since beginning of the year. Our Everybody's social life, everybody's professional life, everybody's effective life. I mean, it changed our life and it's still changing it. And I think you mentioned, I think a few people, I think you Fabrice, but also I think Jens uh, mentioned that Uh, this this change of going to corporate social responsibility came also for a part with the financial crisis. That it was a wake-up call for companies like people are changing, our clients are changing, the markets are changing, we are no longer the guys who grab the money, we take the money but in a corporate social responsible way. That was the idea. Now this COVID-19 must also have, this also has a big thing, It's, it's even worse than the financial crisis. We're just at the beginning of it and I wonder Is it something that will possibly kill CSR? Because if I am running a company and I want to be really social, I want to do these things, I want to work on inclusion, and then I see in my company, I'm fighting for survival. I have less clients, the market goes down, whatever, that I have to make a choice. Is there this this threat of COVID-19 on the future of CSR? in the way that we just go back to the old values of I have to have money, I have to make this, and the rest is I cut it because I can do without. Is that something that we want to be afraid of?
2: No, I expect the, the, the opposite. I expect, of course, I'm hoping as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know the future. Perhaps you know, but I don't know. But what seems plausible to me is um, if you look, for instance, in the long-term developments, and of course, uh, that's difficult what I'm saying because 2007, of course, if you would have then sort of um, expect, extrapolated the development we had in 2007, we, nobody ha- would have expected the crisis. Yeah. Some had expected, but the impact was not expected. So, of course, we are now as well at a, at a watershed moment, and we don't know what then will profoundly be changed. Uh, there are assumptions what will be changed, but what what? I, but my, my um, view on that is, if we look, for instance, at the major um, investors, so Fabrizio um, was uh, um, drawing attention to this, to the question of money, and I'm, I'm, I, I think that's very important where the money goes. Um, and if we look, for instance, and I'm, I'm extending this at length in my book, for instance, at Larry Fink from BlackRock. Yeah. And uh, of course, of course, not everybody is looking what. Uh, what Larry Fink is doing, but almost everybody is looking what he's doing uh, because he's so important in terms of what he is investing and his organization is investing. And if you look at this, uh, the letters, this letters to of the, to the CEOs he was writing uh, as from 2017 on, 17, 18 on, there's a major shift. There's a major shift in tone and message. He has become more political. Dramatically more political. He is drawing attention to the importance of diversity. He's drawing attention to uh, to sustainability. So all these aspects we were discussing, they are sort of put in one basket. There is even a shift, investments in terms, of direction, sustainability, and uh, and. If you read these letters carefully, he says deep frustration as well with uh, the political handling of crisis. Of course, he's referring as well to the Trump administra- administration, yes. of course. Um, and he was blamed for that from sort of right wing uh, Fox kind of uh, 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 um, directions. But of course, uh, if you look, for instance, at other investors as well, there's the same development. Because why? Why? Because there is this change of values of the younger generations. And this, you can't discuss this away. It's there, it will remain, that will be increased, I think, because of the experience of crisis. Because everybody is now aware this can't go on that way. And everybody is frustrated by the um, lack of inclusion I mean, on a society level, yeah. which, of course, increases the pressure on the political actors and the political actors in the political arena, but it's also on the business arena to do, to work for inclusion. So my prognosis is very clearly that there will be an increase um, as well on investment in that and on communication. Um, at least it needs to be. That's, of course, uh, a moral statement as well. Um, uh, But I think all economic and social indicators point to to the necessity, but also to the uh, reality that this will increase. Of course, I don't know whether this will then happen already uh, this year. But uh, if I recall some interviews, which I've done as well for, for the English edition of my book, Many people have told me that they've increased their investments already now. I think I can share this as well. Fabrice, for instance, our leadership there as well, some supporters at our leadership who have increased their um, their support, their financial support. And um, there are other, and I I know today I had a, a conversation, this is the reason why I was late. Um, that uh, of a major um, American company uh, saying, um, sharing uh, his knowledge, and I was sort of confirmed by others, because they have budget available, so LGBT budget available, because there was no price, they are giving this money now to NGOs in different countries to start support their activities. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, um, uh, that's a short-term thing because there was much of label available and what will be next year, we don't know. But it reflects, nevertheless, a, um, an awareness for the necessity to invest, take money, and to take responsibility for inclusion as a whole, as a whole, not just inclusion in your company, but inclusion in the society. And last point, it's in the interest of the companies because nobody, no company uh, has an interest in instability. There's an operational risk, a major operational risk. Uh, you're in the financial industry, Ludo, so you know that's a major criteria. If there's instability, that's it's a horror for, for
1: businesses. People yeah, like to have- I, I love think. that point. I love that point because I agree with Jens that there are signs of revolution to come. Revolution never happened from one day to another. They are in the making for a very long period of time. And if you look at the yellow vest movement in France, if you yes. look at the Occupy Wall Street movement in the United States, there is a sign of an uprising against capitalism. Absolutely. Now, I don't think that revolution are good because I'm a Frenchman and I know what happened when we had the French Revolution. Revolutions are always terrible for the middle class. And so if capitalism wants to survive, capitalism will have to adapt. In many ways, what Yen says is that COVID-19 only shined a deeper light on the inequalities. Basically, what rich people did during COVID-19 is that they used poor people as a buffer between them and the pandemic. They stayed at home and made sure that poor people were carrying their groceries, and cleaning their houses to protect them from the pandemic. This has only highlighted how unfair capitalism is at the moment. And companies like Amazon, that have made tremendous profit during the pandemic, or companies like Google, that have been flourishing during the pandemic, are at a high risk of backlash because you cannot be doing incredibly well when an entire part of the world is living in misery, and, despair. and therefore, I really believe that companies will have no choice but to show that they are going even deeper into finding a social purpose. And what uh, what Jens started with, which is, you know, Welsh telling us that the goal of GE is to make money for shareholders that won't work in 2021. The only company that will survive are the companies that will be able to show that they have a deeper purpose than to make money for shareholders.
4: Okay, maybe maybe to to prove this this hypothesis, which Jens and uh, Fabrice were alluding to, is um, speaking from the corporate part of you. I experienced during this COVID pandemic now in 2020 that we have even ramped up all the LGBTQ activities in our company. So we shifted them quickly to digital ones for sure, but we being part of the first LGBT career fair. We were part of virtual panel discussions, virtual LGBT plus hackathons and so on and so forth. We started our international DNY tech um, task force, um, really also doubled down on global LGBT plus agenda. And um, yeah, the, the whole topic also moved uh, now to our chief human resources officer. So I see there's a kind of proof there's even more attention to the LGBTI agenda than it was before the pandemic.
0: Wow, this is really something that I, I didn't expect this answer. But I must say, when three of you, and probably also Adela, will also confirm this, I think uh, this is this makes sense what you say, and it's even turning your situation on a higher level of of. Like Fabrice said, it's a kind of evolution, it's a big stage. Others say it's a kind of a of a, of a of a trip that you do, a voyage that you do in a certain direction. And I think we touched even uh, major topics, which we could even have for our next podcast. Um, it is, it is. I think, I, I'm almost, I'm even over time even. But I think it was a, a very great, very nice discussion between professionals, between specialist and I think that the people that were listening that are listening to us uh, were not only given advice but also inspired that what they are doing, what they are going through uh, is, is valid. And I think if you look at the question that we had at the start of, of our of our podcast was is it a trend a global mindset creating new opportunities for the LGBTI community I think the answer is clearly yes, it is not a trend. it is clearly something that we need to evaluate we need to use, in our activities, include them, and and profit from them, because it really is for us, in different ways, an extra push on what we want to do for our community to make it better, stronger, and better accepted. So this is, I think, for me, uh, a, a nice ending and a nice closure. Um, if somebody else wants to add something, please feel free to do it. Um, otherwise, I would like to add one thing. Today, we celebrate um, the coming out day, and in a way, we all know, we all know coming out, we all had the coming out, many people we know, you don't have it once, you have it many times in your life. But in a way, what we touch today is the coming out in business, because that's what's happening. Businesses are coming out, they say we come out as a responsible company, also for the LGBTIQ community. So in that way, our discussion fits even the day we have celebrated, we will celebrate today the coming out day. I wish to thank all of you for your uh, inspirational inputs, for your great thoughts, for your um, original approaches to the, the topic of CSR and making it really something practical, something realistic. So thank you very much from my side, from the side of East meets West, from me and Pavel. We really enjoyed it. We're really happy you were there. And if we get from people that are listening or looking at what we did in the podcast, if they have questions, I will just send them to you. You can possibly answer them and i think i'm sure there will be questions because what you touched is uh is a, a box of pandora but a good one not a bad one but a good one a lot of ideas came out so thank.
1: You. Book from jens we can just buy the book from jens and yeah. all the answers will be good yes exactly.
0: yeah yes <laughs> you can buy. No, honestly this is-, <laughs> <laughs> this is why you should buy it first of all uh, it is a very interesting book. I know it. I've read it already. It is really. No, no, uh, no. no. You've, you've read parts of it. Um. No. You, you're, oh, yeah. The spicy things. You can do yourself, you know. But there is on page 80 or something. There's a very <laughs> nice thing about these incredible two guys of East meets West who are. Uh, you have this young kid, Pavel, and you have this mature guy, me. Who Both does, handsome. Does Both thing. very handsome. It says in the book.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, so thank you very much for your input. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I hope to see you soon, be it online or even, who knows, in the future, in person.
1: L- Ludo, I think you're mute. So we do without you with <laughs> <laughs> all with
2: well,
4: the time. There's the magic can, in it.
1: Well, I can act as if I am Ludo. uh we can try
2: (laughs) and i think your children you'll love you because of your strong american accent right
1: you know my (laughs) children have reached that age where they make fun of me constantly (laughs) which is not the way i read them um it's
0: terrible